You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. I'm Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, along with Rob Rang. The 2019 season has officially ended for the Seahawks after dropping a 28-23 decision to the Packers at Lambeau Field in the divisional round. We'll be reflecting on that loss as well as Seattle's successful season. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks will enter this offseason earlier than they hoped. And Rob, I think in a large part, we've had this discussion a few times, I think in a large part due to another sluggish start. That was really the difference maker in this game. And this is something we're going to continue to dive into more as the offseason unfolds. But it's just been a really bad trend, especially in the second half for this football team. And you just cannot fall behind 21-3 to in a playoff game on the road and expect to win. Well, you, you can't when you're going up against a Hall of Fame quarterback with a terrific defense. And so, yeah, I think that you're absolutely right, Corbin. I think that that is the, the story of this game is that Seattle dug themselves into such a hole that you you needed a, a little bit of Russell Wilson magic in the second half just to make the game competitive. And, and, and kudos to the Seahawks, especially kudos to Russell Wilson, of course, because they did show that resiliency and bouncing back. But but yeah, I, I think at, at halftime, it was already established. The Seahawks very likely were going to lose this game unless something miraculous happened. And while there were moments that did look miraculous in the second half, it just wasn't enough, and and that to me is is the the overwhelming feeling in this game and throughout so much of the Seahawks season is what could have been had they been healthier, had they played better in the first half uh, of so many games, especially those on the road. You mentioned health, and Pete Carroll was talking about it yesterday in his end of the season press conference. That if there was one regret he had going, uh, looking back at this season, it's the lack of health, all the injuries that they've had over the past month. And you're not going to use those as an excuse. The Seahawks had opportunities. This was a winnable playoff game, even with the injuries that they've got. And they showed that fight in the second half, the ability to move the football. And it just makes you wonder where was that in the first half. But when you look at the second half of the season, the second half of the Seahawks schedule, this has been a trend. The Rams game in L.A., they were down 21-3 to at the half. They lost that game. Cardinals game in Week 16, they're down 17-7 at half. They lost that game. Week 17, that classic against the 49ers, they were down 13-0, lost that game. Russell Wilson almost led them back in that last one. The other two games, they they showed some fight in the second half, but they weren't able to make those games really that competitive at the end of the day. And then you have this Packers game where they fall behind 21-3, and there's just this, I wrote an article about it, there's this over-reliance on Russell Wilson's late-game magic. And, and earlier in the year, the Seahawks were able to get away with that. Obviously, Russell Wilson's a phenomenal quarterback, and he has carried this football team to a number of improbable wins late. He led the league in game-winning drives this year in the regular season. So he he has the pedigree. He's programmed to win those games. He has been a, a starring actor in that role so many times for the Seahawks but you you can't expect to win a Super Bowl when that's your game plan every single week and the second half it's just gotten progressively worse when you play quality football teams like the Packers there's just no way you can expect and it's crazy saying this because they did have an opportunity to win that game they did have a chance but when you're consistently putting yourself 18 20 points behind at the half 
the expectation that you're going to be able to win that game, you can have all the resiliency in the world, but when you're playing a team that's got Aaron Rodgers at quarterback and the talent that the Packers have on defense, it's going to be extremely difficult to do that. And I thought Russell Wilson, could he did everything that he could have possibly done in that second half, and they still lost. And therein lies the major problem here for this team. You you're getting everything out of your quarterback in the second half, and it still wasn't enough. And, and that points to me, and we got a long offseason to figure this out, but they got to add pieces around them. And philosophically, there needs to be some adjustments made to try to help with those slow starts because that was a major problem that ended up rearing its ugly head in the postseason. No, it really did. And I'm eager to have that kind of conversation. I'm sure that the Seahawks are as well. Um, are eager to kind of look at some of the different weapons they might be able to bring to this team, might be able to uh, the boost the talent along the offensive line, obviously get a little bit more health uh, at the second most important position on offense for the Seahawks. And let's face it, that's the running back position, just the way that this team focuses on the running game. And the fact that you were looking at your your third and fourth string running backs at this point in the year, uh, you know, I think all those things are absolutely legitimate concerns. And then of course, the defense, um, if the Seahawks were able to make a stop at the end of the game, and again, we're going to get to this a little bit later uh, in, in tonight's podcast, but if, if they've been able to make the stops, then Russell Wilson's heroics potentially could have been enough. And that, to me, is one of the most remarkable things is that, you know, in, a, in one of the, the, the fantastic weeks of the NFL season, the divisional week of playoffs, in my opinion, is about as good as it gets in the NFL you saw a lot of teams that once they fell behind, at least significantly fell behind, with the exception of the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously at home were able to bounce back and then just roll uh, against the Houston Texans. Then you saw a lot of teams fall back and, and basically fall down and fall on their backs, essentially. I, I do have to give the Seahawks some credit because they did show that resiliency. I don't want that to get lost Uh behind the fact that the Seahawks lost this game. And as disappointing as that is, frankly, Corbin, I'm, I'm not sure that I think that the Seahawks do belong in the conversation with the top four teams who are remaining in the NFL. And the fact that they were even close, again, is a testament to that resiliency. It's a testament to Russell Wilson's brilliance. And I, I love it that you're going with the more positive take on that. I, I'm just concerned that the coaching staff still thinks they have the 2013 and 2014 defense playing on the other side of the ball and that's not even necessarily just pointing that out that final decision that we'll discuss more in depth later it's just how they're coming out early and some of the sequencing that they had with plays I mean you've got Russell Wilson under center to let the guy play ball and it just seems like there's been too many games where they've handcuffed him a little bit with the way that they've done play calling sequencing and I felt like in this particular football game that that was an issue that when you look back at the box score you revisited the game film certainly was an issue so that goes back to where I'm thinking they don't need to reinvent the wheel but they've got to look at some things philosophically are we maximizing our franchise quarterback's ability and if not what can we do to to really put the ball in his court and give ourselves the best chance to win because that's this team's best chance to win now is Russell Wilson it, it being his football team 
The defense is not going to carry them like it used to. They can add some reinforcements and make it solid, but it's never going to be that same defense they had. So they've got to they've got to go back to the drawing board a little bit, look in the mirror as a coaching staff, a front office, and, and figure out what can we do to really ensure that we are maximizing Russell Wilson's prime seasons. And going out in the second round is not necessarily a bad thing. You still finish in the final eight, the injuries they had. Obviously, there's still a lot to be proud about, but at the same time, Russell Wilson's one of the best quarterbacks in football. You've got some other really talented players around him. Losing in the first and second round in consecutive seasons with him in his prime, that's not necessarily the ideal situation. Like Wilson said, we don't, we can't do this anymore. He said this yesterday, we need to get further than this. And so they're going to be going to this offseason with a lot to think about after losing this game. Coming up next in the second quarter, it's our first mailbag segment of the new season. Tons of questions from you, the listeners. We'll tackle as many as we we can. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To get fit in 2020, you don't have to join a gym or pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com to discover the X1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high quality at home cycling experience at less than half the price of Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone. Busy moms and dads, first responders and elite athletes, whatever your activity level. And with daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home, you'll never have to step foot in a gym. You'll love Echelon, but if you aren't 100% satisfied, we'll give you your money back. Join the hundreds and thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon. Don't pay a ton for a Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today for under $1,000. Go to echelonfit.com slash Go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-F-L to learn about their limited time free Apple iPad and complete details of this exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash L-O-N-F-L. Echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-F-L. Before we move forward, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go and you could increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed? Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, along with Rob Rang. Later in the show, we'll revisit Seattle's final game of the season on offense, including a red-hot second half for Russell Wilson. But first, it's a special edition Tuesday mailbag. Didn't get a show in yesterday because of a very crazy weekend traveling back and forth to Green Bay. My apologies for that, but we will have a show every day the rest of this week, and we're going to get a bunch of questions in from you, the listeners, right now. We're going to start off with David Hershey. He tweets, 
Chances you think starting safeties next year are Quandre Diggs and Marquise Blair. Love Bradley McDougald, but Blair is much faster and has so much potential. Well, I think that's certainly a possibility. Uh, I think that, and I absolutely agree with, with David's point here that Marquise Blair is fast and he is a hitter. Um, and, and so I certainly understand that that idea. But I, I think that the fact that, that that Marquise Blair wasn't able to get more time on the field is is a, a statement about um, his recognition. Um, and, and, you know, and that, that was one of the reasons why I, I questioned, honestly, um, his his selection as early as he was, because this is a junior college player um, who played primarily the free safety position at Utah. Um, and, and so there was going to be some recognition concerns with him. Um, and so I think that ideally, sure. But at the same time, Bradley McDougall was one of the glues that made Seattle's defense as successful as it was. So to me, safety is one of the positions that Seattle is pretty solid at right now because I do like their stars. I do like their depth. And I do think that Marquise Blair can be part of that. But I also think that in, in Quandre Diggs and Bradley McDougald, again, you have two of the answers, not two of the questions, in my opinion, on Seattle's defense. I'd have to agree with that last statement that you made there. I think Marquise Blair has a lot of upside, a lot of potential, but Bradley McDougald played really good football when he had Quandre Diggs in the lineup. It took pressure off him. He was more comfortable. He was playing faster out there, really played well against the Eagles. This game against the Packers was a little bit more of a struggle for him, but he didn't play poorly necessarily, but it wasn't quite as dominant of a performance. But he's under contract. And he's a guy that, that brings a lot of intangibles to the table. He's not near as athletic as Marquise Blair, but he, he is very sound fundamentally. He knows the defense inside and out. He brings versatility, which Blair can. But again, there's the concern, is he going to be assignment sound enough to be able to go out there and be confident in him starting? And that seemed to be the biggest issue for Carroll and the coaching staff with him. So I do think Marquise Blair is going to get an opportunity. They're going to have him compete. But I don't expect uh, Bradley McDougal is just miraculously going to get cut. He's not going to be a cap casualty. They will be bringing him and Diggs back. Those will be the presumed starters, and Marquise Blair will have an opportunity, but I think right now he's he's facing an uphill climb a little bit with those guys in front, and maybe Seattle's viewing this as a case where in his third season, Blair will be able to take over. McDougal will be a free agent by that point that Blair can take over at the strong safety position. Diggs is under contract for two seasons, so maybe that ultimately is your starting tandem. But down the line right now, I would expect it's going to be Diggs and McDougald still in there in the lineup. At The Real Luigi tweets, do you think the Seahawks look to draft a tight end? It's been a a positional weakness. I love Hollister, Wilson, and Disley. However, Disley has had some trouble staying healthy. (laughs) That's an understatement. Um, yeah, I, I think the tight end absolutely has to be one of the positions that Seattle considers. You know, I I, I was kind of knocking on the table for Seattle to draft a tight end this past year because I had some reservations about Will Disley, and I, I think that Uncle Will, as he's kind of affectionately called in that building, um, is one of the hardest working, toughest guys, smartest guys on that team. But you cannot rely on a player who has struggled with the injuries the way that he has. I thought that Will Disley, or excuse me, that Jacob Hollister was frankly one of the more disappointing players um, in in Seattle's loss to Green Bay. We all know about the, uh, what was called a catch and then overruled as a fumble, but I thought that was a fumble. 
Um, I, I saw some missed blocks. I saw some missed uh, missed blocks as far as being on offense to tight end. I saw some missed blocks when he was playing special teams. You know, I I want to stay positive, but I thought that Jacob Hollister struggled in this game, and I thought that that was something that Seattle could take advantage of. Um, Corbin, because you were at the game itself, I'm not sure what you may or may not have seen as far as the television coverage, but that was one of the things that the, the Fox broadcasted a nice job of kind of articulating was the fact that the Green Bay was putting so many people at the line of scrimmage that there was space in the middle for Seattle to take advantage of. That's why I wasn't surprised at all when Brian Schottenheimer called the play, very first play out of the get-go, to get the ball into Hollister's hand, take advantage of that. And the fact that Seattle was not able to get the ball into the hands of their tight ends more, to me, is a concern. So absolutely, I think that tight end will be a position that Seattle will be considering, whether it be in the draft or in free agency in this offseason. I have to take a look at the list of free agents available, but I can tell you that this tight end class is not exactly a strong one um, compared to some of the previous classes. There are a few guys with some talent at position, but that's, you know, Seattle could easily draft somebody in the later rounds and you have a developmental guy. I think they do need to add a player. I agree with you. Hollister really struggled the other night, and that was an issue because of the way the Packers were playing defense that if your tight end was having a good game, they could have worked the Packers in the passing game in that regard. He also missed that block at the uh, in the last drive that led to the game-ending sack on Russell Wilson. Seahawks didn't get the ball back when the Packers ended up picking up a couple first downs, and so that ended up being the play that ended up dooming them. They punted on the next play, so not a great showing for him. Luke Wilson has battled injuries, getting to be an older player. I don't know that they're going to bring him back necessarily. So right now you're left with Will Disley coming off a ruptured Achilles tendon, and you've still got Ed Dixon, who didn't play at all this year, and you've got Tyrone Swoops. They need to add some depth there. Uh, uh, Hollister's under contract for next year too, but they need to add somebody. I don't know if it'll be the draft free agency, but it certainly is a big need in my opinion. Bryce Cooch tweets, do you think Seattle will cut Justin Britt and draft a center this year? Well, I'll I'll say this. You you just mentioned the draft class. Now you're getting into my wheelhouse, Corbin. So, you know, um, this is one of the better center classes I've seen in a long, long time in the NFL. And no one knows that better, of course, than John Schneider and his staff. Um, you know, so I, I think that's a possibility. I think that you really have to tip your cap to the toughness uh, that, that Joey Hunt showed um, when he took over for Justin Britt. At the same time, as we talked about previously, when Justin Britt went down, that was a significant injury for the Seahawks. Just because Justin Britt, not only because of his size, um, but his physicality, but his leadership. Um, so I, the idea of cutting him to me would be surprising. Uh, Joey Hunt is a is a pending free agent, but at the same time, uh, you know he's somebody who I think the, the Seattle values as well. Um, so I, I'm not so sure that they do want to uh, to go with with a rookie at that point. I mean, maybe in the later rounds, um, but you you show me the team that is able to be successful that runs the ball the way that Seattle does um, that is going to invest a high pick in a center um, and still expect to have the success. I mean, there it's happened. New England did a couple of years ago. But at the same time, New England Patriots are different. I mean, not a lot of clubs can do what the New England Patriots do. So 
I don't know that I, I can see that the Seahawks cutting Justin Britt. I think that he is one of the glue guys on this team. Um, and, and so, I again, I kind of like we talked about before with the safety position. I think that that is one of the answers at your on your offensive line rather than one of the question marks, in my opinion. I've talked about this quite a bit on uh, on some articles. I've talked about it on the show here. I do think it's a possibility that Seattle could look into potentially releasing Justin Britt just because his cap hit is north of $11 million. But I think it's more likely what they're going to do is try to see, is there a way that we can restructure or do an extension with him because he is such a glue guy for that offensive line. And as much as Joey Hunt tried, it, it was a downgrade. And he, he was playing with an injury of his own the last month and a half or so he had a stress fracture in his fibula that he was playing with so that had to be painful out there trying to gut through that so I'm not taking anything away from him but uh, compared to what it looked like when Hunt first went in the starting lineup that ended up being a pretty big injury for the Seahawks in the middle of their line and while I think there's a very good chance with how good this center class is, they're going to draft one. I don't think they want to go into this season with a rookie and Joey Hunt maybe as their two options. I guess they'll still have Ethan Posick around, but he hasn't proven he can stay healthy either. So uh, I certainly think they're going to be drafting a center as far as getting rid of Britt. I think there's a better chance they're going to hang on to him and maybe they can come up with a way to lower that cap hit as well. Drake tweets, what do you think of the growing list of injuries and rumblings about our strength and conditioning coach leading to many injuries? Is that a correlation or is it a coincidence? Well, in my, in my opinion, it's a coincidence just because of the fact that the, the Seahawks have been, fortunately for them, one of the healthier teams over the last several years. I mean, there, there there's certainly examples of, of many prominent Seahawks struggling with injuries over the last couple of years. And again, I'm going to go back to the running game and because it is so important in Seattle. And the fact that Chris Carson has struggled with injuries the last couple of years, I think that's something that, that you have to look into. And, and like the center position, um, there is a, a, a very talented class coming in as far as the rookies. Um, but at the same time, Again, I, I think that you look at the players who got injured this year, and with the exception, of, with mostly with the exception of Brett, a lot of the players who got injured this year are players who have been injured in past years. Uh, and so I don't know that you can blame the strength and conditioning coaches for the fact that you have players who struggled in college or in their NFL careers with injuries. It is something to be concerned about. I believe that, that Seattle was not among the four best teams in the NFL when this season ended. And I believe that the, that the biggest reason for that, as Pete Carroll talked about, was their struggles with durability. So I think that is something that the Seahawks will address, but I don't think it's necessarily something they're going to address by axing the coach. I think it's going to be getting younger the way that John Schneider built this team when they last won the Super Bowl. So I, I agree with you, but I also, there is a track record here with Ivan Lewis, who was hired by the Seahawks last year. When he was at USC, he earned a reputation for not being very good at his job. There, have been, there are a couple people I know that are linked heavily to the USC program who were overjoyed when he left for the Seahawks and that he because there have been so many injuries there. He was at Washington for a little while. They had injury issues then, too. So... I look back at his track record and I wonder if there maybe is a little bit of correlation. And you're right that this is a, this is a sport that's got injuries and the Seahawks have been lucky compared to a lot of other teams in the past. Maybe they were just due for a year where more guys got banged up and had serious injuries. It happens. 
So I would not be firing him right now, but certainly I would be looking at my strength conditioning program and trying to see, okay, is there anything that we can do differently going into next year as far as with the same people we've got here? Is there anything different we can do to maybe curb some of these injuries? Try to evaluate your coaches at all times. And if you have another season that's similar to this, then I think you have to go back and start considering maybe we made a mistake here moving on from Carlisle and going to Ivan Lewis. When when Carlisle was widely regarded as one of the better strength conditioning coaches out there, and when Seattle made that move, it kind of was a head-scratcher to me a little bit. We don't know everything that goes on behind closed doors, but I do think this is something to monitor going into next season because I, I I see some trends with this particular staff in particular, Ivan Lewis, that worry me a little bit. Last question here, Justin tweets, George Fant or Jermaine Effetti, which one are you signing if you could only bring back one? Well, that's a tough question, Justin. Thanks for the, thanks for the question. I, you know, I, I think this is really one of the biggest questions the Seahawks are facing in the offseason. Everybody's going to focus in on the defensive line, and for good reason, with Clowney and Jaron Reed um, as pending free agents. With, with Dwayne Brown returning, with, with George, uh, or excuse me, with Jamarco Jones showing his ability to play left tackle position as, as well, I, I think that George Fant is likely to get big dollars in the free agent market. I think that Jermaine Fetty is going to get big dollars in the free agent market as well, just because of the durability and the fact that he is an ascending player at this point. I will say this this is a pretty strong rookie class of offensive tackles coming in as well. I think this really is going to come down to John Schneider is going to have a number in mind for both of those two players. And I don't know that Seattle is going to be able to get either one of them at a, at at a bargain. And so to me, that is going to be something that is going to be fascinating. I don't know that Seattle is going to get either one of them back. And that to me, again, is one of the biggest stories in the off season. I don't know that either one of these players is going to be back in the Seahawks uniform for the same reasons that you mentioned. I think George Fan is going to have a market out there. I mean, there are a lot of teams that are starving for offensive line talent, especially at the tackle positions, and he's still a young player that's that's learning the game. He's made great strides, looked pretty good the few starts that he had in place of Dwayne Brown. So there will be teams that will throw money at him. And Jermaine Effetti is still, I believe he's just 25. He's still a very young player. So teams are going to look at him and think, okay, he's made improvements his first four years in the league. We can continue that growth and we can pay him decent money. I think both of them are going to get beyond what Seattle's willing to pay. Likely you're going to see Dwayne Brown and Jamarco Jones playing those tackle positions, but that's going to put a lot more uh, priority on getting some more tackles through free agency or the draft. And this is a good offensive line class in general. So it's a good opportunity for them to add some pieces in the draft, but they would be going in. We know how many depth issues they had with Fant and Effetti both being there. You lose both those players. That's a big deal moving into the 2020 season, especially when your best player is your quarterback and you're trying to protect him. So I think they're going to try everything, every way they can to get one of these guys. If I, if I was able to pay one of them and I had to make a choice, I would pick George Fant over Effetti. And my reasoning behind that is the versatility that he brings. And I actually think there may be a higher ceiling because of his basketball background, his athleticism, than what there is for Effetti. And that's not knocking him. I've actually been a bigger supporter of Effetti than pretty much most of the Seahawks fan base has been as far as they come after him. And I feel like he had a pretty solid season. But 
I actually think he's got a better chance because he started more games of getting more money than Fant. So if I had to make my pick between those two, I would go with Fant. I think it's going to be tough to get either one of them, though. When we come back for the third quarter, we're going to start breaking down the Seahawks' final game of the season. We're going to look at the offensive side of the football during the Seahawks' 28-23 loss to the Packers. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. Glad to have you joining us here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, along with Rob Rang. The Seahawks season officially ended on Sunday night. Seahawks gave a valiant effort to come back in the second half, but just too little, too late. And then talk about in the first quarter, a little bit too much reliance on hoping Russell Wilson's going to be able to pull a rabbit out of his hat at the end and lead the Seahawks to victory. Unfortunately, couldn't quite do that, but still ended up being a very thrilling game down to the end. Seattle sure brought it down to the wire as they always seem to do. Let's talk offensive takeaways, Rob, from this football game. It was another, it feels like this is a broken record at this point. It was a game of two halves. One half, the Seahawks put up three points. They missed a field goal. Those are the only times they threatened to score. Second half, the Packers could not stop the Seahawks offensively. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing. I mean you you went into halftime thinking, My goodness, the Seahawks are gonna get rolled in this game. And after a um, you know, a, a divisional round of the playoffs I mentioned before in in the first quarter that you, you saw some teams, frankly, just kinda lay down. Um, I you know, again, kudos to the Seahawks, but um, you know, they had dug themselves into such a hole. Um, and then when they came out and three consecutive drives just marched right down the field, um, you know, it, it was remarkable. Um, you know, that again, just the resiliency, the accuracy, the decision making that Russell Wilson showed down the stretch. Uh, there was just so many opportunities I thought that Seattle had in the first half where whether it be Russell Wilson, in, in my opinion, not uh, taking advantage of, um, you know, a, a, a loaded box and being able to throw kind of over the top of that or or having some keepers where he'd be able to run earlier in the game. He, he showed that that quick decision making in the second half and I don't want to put all the pressure on on the quarterback I think that that's that's kind of lazy analysis but when when Green Bay had put as many people towards the you know towards the line of scrimmage as they had then to me that's incumbent on the quarterback to be able to recognize those things and to be able to adjust we saw Aaron Rodgers, unfortunately for the Seahawks, do that on the very final play of the game, essentially, with uh, uh, calling the audible, and Devontae Adams was able to get free. And that is something I want to see the Seahawks be able to do earlier in the game rather than later in the game. Yeah, the, the lack of urgency, and it goes back to that reliance on your quarterback being able to shoulder the load and bring the team back, which he's done so many times, and maybe that's the issue. They've just gotten too comfortable with that because he has done it so many times, but now seeing how things have gone in recent weeks where they've had several of those games not go their way, and now the season's over as a result of it, it's something, like I said, the first quarter. They're going to have to go back and explore a little bit here in coming months to see if there's a way they can get to that next level and, and go further in the postseason. First thing that really jumped out to me, and this this goes off what you were just saying, Russell Wilson's ability to audible and you know wanting to see a little bit more of that. And obviously, we don't know what was being said as far as bringing plays out there. Maybe the play call was originally a pass and it was went to run or, or vice versa. We don't know all that stuff. But there was one particular drive that stood out to me that drove me nuts. It was the Seahawks' second drive of the game. 
Marshawn Lynch gets eight yards on first down. So you get a really good run. That That's great. It sets up second two. But that seems like a prime position to me to run play action with your quarterback. Even if you throw an incomplete pass, your playbook's completely open. It's third and two. And I viewed that as a great opportunity to put the football in your quarterback's hands, especially with the way the Packers were playing defensively. And yet the Seahawks ended up going run, 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 and Lynch got stuffed the the next two runs. And then they had to punt, turn around and kick the ball back. Your quarterback didn't attempt a single pass in that possession. And when you have a player the caliber of Russell Wilson under center, that's a problem for me. You've got to let your quarterback... You and I both know I love running the football, but that's a problem to me when you go that heavy towards the run and it's clearly not working when you had an opportunity to be unpredictable, to be able to put the ball into your quarterback's hands. And this is a defense that gives up explosive pass plays. I just felt like they didn't have the aggressiveness. They were too conservative in the first half for my liking. And when you're playing on the road at Lambeau, a place that has been a nightmare facility for you for two decades, you've got to take your shots. You've got to be aggressive. And I said that all last week, running the ball was going to be key, but I did not expect they were going to come out and do what they did the first couple possessions where they were trying to run into a brick wall nonstop. It, it reminded me of the Cowboys game last year in the playoffs, to be honest with you. Well, no, I, I, I agree with you, Corbin, because, I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. At, at the same time, I am the guy who, who said run the damn ball over and over and over again when we were previewing this game. So it would be, in, in my opinion, again, it wouldn't be very professional of me at this point to then to flip the switch and, and now say that, that, that Seattle should have been more aggressive passing the ball. I mean, uh, you know, when Marshawn Lynch ran that first play for eight yards, as you just mentioned, right off a right guard, right down DJ Fluker and Jermaine Effetti, Seattle's most you know, durable offensive lineman so far this season, I thought, okay, here you go. This is the 23rd ranked defense. You want to try and silence that crowd. Let's play Seattle Seahawks football and run the ball right down their throat. And so I welcomed the second run down the right guard. And frankly, I, I welcomed the third down play. I just think that, that Seattle ran into a much healthier team. Um, and, and to me, that drive basically uh, encapsulated the entire game for the Seahawks. That They thought they were going to be able to run the ball against the Green Bay Packers. I thought they would be able to run the ball against the Green Bay Packers. And so I and thought I did. that was – I thought they were going to run the ball better than they did too. I, I just – I guess my issue was the predictability. I I would have liked to see the ball a little bit more in Russell. And I didn't have an issue necessarily even with the run-pass ratio. It's just the way that the the predictability of it, I guess, is what is what bothered me, especially with the looks the defense were, was giving them, as you mentioned. No, exactly. And, and that's where I think that Seattle had to be better, is the fact that it was predictable and the fact that Green Bay knew it and were crowding the box as much as they were. Um, and so, again, the very first play of the game, when they did the play action, they hit the little pop pass to Jacob Hollister. You know, I thought that's where I was expecting to see. We saw the touch or, or excuse me, on, on fourth and one later in the game where it was right down there by the goal line. And instead of running the ball predictably on fourth and one, they did the play action. 
action pass and a quick reception to Tyler Lockett. To me, where was that earlier in the game? I'd like I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of the play action passes, just because I thought that Seattle had the significant advantage at the wide receiver position against Green Bay's corners. And frankly, I thought that was something that Seattle should take an advantage of earlier. We saw Tyler Lockett get open many, many times because he's a marvel. But I was expecting to see more from DK Metcalf in this game, and certainly was expecting to see more from the other pass catchers who were not named DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. That was really a big thing that jumped out to me in this game. Not enough help aside from Lockett. Metcalf had a decent game. Uh, There were a couple plays that looked like he might have been open that Russell Wilson just didn't see him too. And that happens in every game. You're going to have plays where guys get missed. It's just the nature of the sport. But you didn't get much help. Marshawn Lynch had two rushing touchdowns, but he did have a great game running the football. And I don't think it was his fault. They just, you know, the blocking just wasn't working out in front of him. The line had injuries. But you look at the rest of the team. Malik Turner had that huge drop late in the game that that I honestly believe if he catches that ball, the Seahawks win this game. It was that bit to me. It was the the play that turned the tide in this game in the fourth quarter. Not the sack on Russell Wilson that set up fourth and eleven. It was a couple plays earlier when that play would have gotten him past midfield and they would have had a first down. But he didn't catch the football. Hollister had a bad drop in the first half that would have been a first down, and they ended up having to kick a field goal instead of potentially driving for a touchdown. Dron Brown didn't do anything. David Moore just had a run, had one rush, didn't do anything. So. He didn't get any help, and I think that's one of the big reasons that they were so they were so bad on third down, and that's another thing that really fits with that Cowboys loss in the playoffs last year. Both of those games, the Seahawks were not able to convert third downs, and in the postseason, especially when you're playing on the road, you're going to have a really difficult time winning games when you can't sustain drives by converting a decent percentage of your third down opportunities. They simply did not do that. No, they, they really didn't. I mean, it was it was horrific. I mean, Seattle was three of nine on first down. Um, and again, th- this is one of the things that the Fox coverage, they did a really nice job of kind of comparing Seattle's inefficiency on third down, one of three, compared to Green Bay's efficiency on third down, nine of 14. Uh, it just felt like every single time that Green Bay was able to, to move the chains or score touchdowns. Um, you know, there, there are three touchdowns in this game all came on third down. Um, and, and so that to me really was was the game. And you're talking about before Corbin, and you know, the you, you look at the, the just who Seattle was targeting this game. Um, the fact that Tyler Lockett, uh, you know, had twice as many, um, you know, targets in this game as any other wide receiver for Seattle. And, and we had talked about before, and I really thought that it was incumbent on the Seahawks to be able to find a third weapon um, you know you knew Tyler Lock was going to be a big part of it you knew especially after the game that DK Metcalf had against the Philadelphia Eagles that he was going to be a big part of it but then you know to, to focus on Malik Turner who was 0 for 3 not only did he drop that ball on fourth down I absolutely agree with you that Seattle I, I don't know that I think that they would have won the game because my biggest concern was that they were going to walk down the field, score a touchdown, and then Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to march right back down the field. Uh, they might get a, a game winner by Mason Crosby at the end. But still, to have 
three targets to Malik Turner, no catches and no targets, not a single target to David Moore, who has been one of your playmakers, the wide receiver position against the Green Bay Packers defense that is very good at getting to the the quarterback, but struggles recovering the receivers. I just thought that was something that Seattle left on the field. I think we've got to wrap up this particular section talking about what has really turned into the most debated decision from this game on Sunday night. And it was a couple plays after Malik Turner dropped that pass and Russell Wilson dropped back on third down. It was third and five and he was scanning the field for receiver. And unfortunately Preston Smith beat Jacob Hollister off the edge. That's not a fair matchup any day of the week having Hollister trying to block a guy that had double-digit sacks this year. Smith gets into the backfield, brings Wilson down, and now it's 4th and 11. Seahawks had all their timeouts, and they also had the two-minute warning as an extra timeout as well. So the rationale for Pete Carroll to punt the ball back to the Packers there made some sense. They did have the timeouts to be able to get the clock stopped and get the football back to Russell Wilson. And if everything worked out perfectly, they could have done it before the two-minute warning so that he had that built-in timeout. But unfortunately, the defense was not able to do that. They weren't able to get those that last stop that they absolutely needed to give Wilson one more opportunity to win the game. So I guess the million-dollar question, was that the right decision there that late in the game to punt the football back to Aaron Rodgers? I think it was. And I know that a lot of people are going to disagree with that, and I certainly understand why. And again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, and and I think that when you punt the ball back to a two-time NFL MVP, then you certainly are, are going to leave yourself open to plenty of questions. And the fact that Seattle took their time in punting the ball, um, you know, that to me is one of the concerns as well. But but at the same time, once you got that sack. Then I thought fourth and eleven. You, you you have to punt the football at this point. You have to play a little bit of defense. Maybe I'm like just as you mentioned, Corbin, before. Maybe I'm I'm like the Seahawks, and that I still thought that the Seattle defense would be able to kind of rise to the occasion. Obviously, they did not. Um, but at fourth and eleven. Um, considering the fact that you were down uh, by five points at that point, even if Green Bay is able to get the field goal, you're still going to be at eight. I have that faith in Russell Wilson uh, that I thought they still would be in a position to potentially tie, put that game into overtime. But uh, you know, at the same time, obviously, the taking the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands, I think may wind up being one of the, 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 the terrible decisions um, that is going to haunt this team throughout the offseason and hopefully be able to inspire them to do that much better next year. You know, I've been torn on this one, Rob, because watching the game from the press box and thinking they've got three timeouts, they've got the two-minute warning, I completely understood the decision to punt the ball away after that sack. And Pete Carroll talked about it after the game. If, if it was fourth and five, there's a much better chance that they're going to be going for it there than a fourth and 11. That was a big difference maker for them, making that choice as it moved them deeper back into Green Bay territory. And yeah, if they miss that, they can still hold the Packers to a field goal and get the ball back for Wilson and go down and score and then try to get a two-point conversion to tie the game. But when you give up that good a field position, the way the defense had played throughout the game, you're probably giving up a touchdown to the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers there. So I, I get that rationale, but the more that I thought about it, I hate referencing Stephen A. Smith, but Aaron Rodgers is a bad man. 
and punting the football back to him, especially when they knew who to pick on in this game. They were looking for Trey Flowers most of the game, and then when they saw Ugo Amadi in the slot against Devontae Adams, who had just been killing the Seahawks all game long, Aaron Rodgers is going to take that matchup every single time. And the Seahawks didn't have another defender there to bracket cover Devontae Adams, so... I don't even know if it would have mattered there. It was a perfect throw from Aaron Rodgers, and ultimately that's what won the game. The Packers still needed to get one more first down, but it would have been extremely difficult, even if the Seahawks got the ball back, for them to be able to drive down and get a touchdown after that third down conversion. So I look back at it, and the way Russell Wilson had played, I I thought the offensive line was surprisingly effective for most of the second half, keeping the pass rush away. Um, Hollister was the one that got beat by Preston Smith on that sack. Otherwise, the offensive line, I thought, was doing a good job. Phil Haynes, i got to give kudos to him. Uh, The rookie hadn't played a snap all year, and I thought he did a heck of a job coming in there at left guard in the second half of the divisional round of the playoffs. I I look back on it, and I think they should have gone for it. I think that you've got one of the best quarterbacks in football. You don't want to punt it to one of the other best quarterbacks in football, a guy that's going to 95% of the time move the chains on you and win the game. I think your chances of converting a 4th and 11 when they had had several uh, conversions on 3rd and long in the past two weeks, I actually would have liked your odds better there. So my opinion changed a little bit since the game. I, I, I respect Carroll's decision, but... I think in the long run, looking back at it, I probably would have just kept the ball in Russell Wilson's hands as well. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, you can contact me, LockedSeahawks at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by visiting us at LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up tomorrow on our Wednesday show, we'll be looking at some defensive takeaways from the Seahawks' loss to the Packers in the divisional round, and we'll start to dive a little bit into Seattle's pending free agents. We'll be looking on the defensive side of the football at the nine players that will be unrestricted free agents on March 18th. Looking forward to it. Hope you'll be listening in. Go Hawks!